Hey Cole, are you ready for some tits, ass, and demons? Oh, I... <laughs> well, buckle up, because today I'm talking about 1988's Night of the Demons, directed by Kevin Tenney. Welcome to Second to Die, the horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. So yeah, today I'm very excited because I'm talking about a fantastic movie from 1988 called Night of the Demons. It was also remade in, I think, 2009, but I haven't seen that one, and I won't be mentioning it from here on out. So Night of the Demons was directed by Kevin Tenney. And it is a pretty great 80s horror flick. It had a pretty low budget of $1.2 million and was only given a limited release, but still made over $3 million just, I think, in, in like Detroit and New York alone. So it was very successful. The movie stars a bunch of people, but I'll mention a couple of them and then I'll go through the characters in a second. But notably, Linnea Quigley plays Suzanne and... She's pretty awesome. She originally did not want to audition for the role because the role is for a teenager, a high schooler, and she thought it would be silly if she were auditioning for a high schooler's role. I think, honestly, she was only in her 20s or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like Rachel McAdams wasn't in her 30s in Mean Girls. I know. Nowadays, they honestly just don't care about that. Nowadays, you can be like... A 40-year-old divorcee smoking cigarettes and showing up to English one, like, I'm new here, guys. My name's Tabitha. You know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, so she originally didn't want to audition, but they kept hounding her. So she finally went and they cast her on the spot. So, good for her. But yeah, I mentioned her because she's my favorite in this movie by far. She was in Return of the Living Dead, which was another 80s movie and kind of got this reputation for being a scream queen. And she is fantastic. Also worth noting, this movie was shot in only four weeks. Oh. (laughs) And that seems pretty quick considering now they take four weeks to shoot single scenes of movies. Yeah. Uh, Back in the good old days before I was born. Yeah, exactly. The movie also has Amelia Kincaid in it, who is one of the most recognizable persons from this because she's known because in this movie, she wears a black wedding dress and is super gothed up. Oh, uh, okay. And so she's that kind of aesthetic. But to be honest, she's one of the first versions of that. So I think a lot of people now sort of copy her look from this movie. Yeah. But it was just like super goth. She is a dancer and choreographer. And I'll talk about a dancing in this in a little bit that she did her own choreography for. But also kind of interesting, her aunt is Rue McClanahan, who is Blanche from the Golden Girls. Oh! And she came and visited the set once. I say, oh, like I've ever seen an episode of the Golden Girls. I know, you don't watch it, but I do. So I thought that was kind of cool. Anyways, the movie was shot in four weeks. The original proposed title for the movie was Demon Boogie. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds so, like, 70s. It 70s, 60s, I don't know. I get my decades mixed up a bit. The ones, like, far before my birth. Well, disco is the 70s, so it would be 70s. I just can't imagine myself going, let's all go see Demon Boogie right now. Although, 
Maybe I could. That actually does kind of sound like me, to be honest. <laughs> I was about to say. But that title was nixed. And then the original title of the movie was Halloween Party, which is far worse and also terrible. Those mean the same thing, but okay. <laughs> so anyway, so eventually it became Night of the Demons, which is a far better title. The original screenplay had a gay couple in it and an interracial kiss, but many people, including the director, thought it was too radical, and he cut them. Now, keep in mind, this is the 80s, but this is 88. This is not that long ago. And so, I get the gay couple thing, because honestly, even now, people bitch and moan about gay kisses on screens, but... It's shoving their sexuality down your throats. I know. But... Even to consider an interracial kiss controversial as late as 88, that's pretty crazy to me. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. So anyways, they cut those scenes. There is still a same-sex kiss, which I will talk about. Did you just grumble at me? <laughs> yes, I grumbled. I just, I have a prediction. And if I'm wrong, you are cutting this. Uh, I have a prediction that it's really just like a sexualized two girls kissing thing. Mm, you're half right. Oh. Let's wait and see. Oh. So anyways, I'm going to just briefly kind of rattle off the characters. I don't expect you to keep track of this, but just so that you know. It all starts with Judy, who is the main girl and, spoiler alert, the final girl. But you know she's the final girl very early in the movie because when her date picks her up and tries to kiss her, she says, slow down, you're moving too fast. Ah, yes. Because you can only survive if you are chased. Yeah, exactly. I would have died a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, so the person that tries to kiss her is Jay. He's like the handsome high school jock who's too cool to wear a costume to the Halloween party. Like that kind of an idiot. Uh. Then there's also Sal, who's like kind of a jerk a little bit. Stooge, who's like the fat high school jock. Yes, his name is Stooge. That sounds suspiciously made up. Yeah, he's awful. Then there's Helen. She's a random white girl. Max, like me. He's a random white guy, like me. Franny, who is Max's girlfriend and progressively cast with an Asian actress. Oh. Yeah, I was surprised. And not with, like, a stereotypical, like, name. No, Franny is um just a regular name. Yeah, she's not, like, mingly or anything insulting like that. Yeah, so we're on the cutting edge of progression in this movie, but hold that thought because you're about to retract it. (laughs) So anyways, the other one is Roger and he's the black guy. So uh, they're all going to a party thrown by Angela and Suzanne. So Angela and Suzanne are kind of the outcast weirdos in this school Uh because Angela is super gothy and Suzanne is super slutty and I want them to be my friends. Yes, they sound like the fun ones at this school. Yeah, I think I was both Angela and Suzanne at my high school. Okay, Carl. (laughs) No, just kidding. I wasn't that slutty. Anyways, so it kind of begins where they all decide that they're going to go to this party that Angela and Suzanne are throwing. And of course, they're throwing it at the local abandoned creepy funeral home on the outskirts of town. Like you do. I mean, everyone's got a few of those. Exactly. And they're also super easy to get into. Yeah. They, They just let anyone in. Exactly. But while they're getting ready for the party, there is this great shoplifting scene where it's in a convenience store. 
and Suzanne, who's the slutty one, is pretending to look at something on a bottom shelf right in front of the store clerks and just like flashing her ass with her panties because she has on a tutu. And the store clerks are, of course, just like ogling her and can't take her eyes off her. And then Angela, her friend, is running through the store with a basically a pillowcase and just stealing everything she can. And when she has everything that she wants, she sort of mentions to Suzanne that it's ready. Cause, and then she walks out the door and Suzanne starts to walk out. But first she approaches the clerks and goes, hey, do you guys have sour balls? And the clerk goes, you bet we do. And she responds, too bad. I bet you don't get many blowjobs. And then walks out. <laughs> oh, I... Uh... And this is where I reiterate that Suzanne is my favorite character and definitely made this movie for me, even though, honestly, this movie is very good. It's great. So, moving right along, they all end up at the house together, eventually, and it turns out that this is a party, but only the main cast members are there because I'm guessing the the $1.2 million budget could not cover extras. So nobody else is at this party. Sounds like a great party. Yeah. So now is also the time. <laughs> oh, God. When you laugh, I get nervous. <laughs> now is also the time that I'll mention that this old abandoned funeral home is also built on an ancient Indian burial ground. <laughs> I can't even say it. It's an ancient Indian burial ground, isn't it? It's not an ancient Indian burial ground, but it is this cursed area and this cursed ground. And they know this because. There's a local legend, and I'm going to say this legend just the way that uh, it's described in the movie, not in my own words that I would use ever. Please don't get mad at me. Please do not write us emails. Please do not sue us. This is a quotation. Yes. So the reason that they know that this is a bad place is because there is an ancient Indian legend that a young brave got lost and settled on that land mistakenly and was later found in a teepee, which was draped with his squaw's intestines while he was munching on the leg of his papoose. So that's problematic. I'm going to give this scene a pass because it was the 80s. No. <laughs> I mean, look. No. I can't undo it. It's done. They said it. That's the explanation. Yikes. Yeah. I don't think you can use any of those words. So that's that. So then we also find from this legend that spirits, evil spirits, cannot cross running water. And there's a brick wall on the property that is built to sort of mark this underground stream thing going on. Even though the stream is never shown in the movie. We're just to believe it's there. And so they know that this wall is as far as, like, evil spirits can go. That will obviously come into play later. Okay. So they're all at this house. They get there. They want to have this party. And it's Halloween. So what else would you do but have a seance? So one of them suggests to have a seance. Because. I mean, who? Like you do. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? So then Helen suggests that they have this thing called a past life seance. I don't know what that is. But apparently it's something where a bunch of people look in a mirror together and you're supposed to see your past lives. I don't think that's real. But beside the point. So they all get together and they look in this mirror, but then they get distracted by something except for Helen. And then Helen sees a demon face in the mirror and everyone else is looking away. And then Helen screams and the mirror falls over 
And nobody knows what, what that was all about. Except for Helen. Yeah. It's a dumb scene. But then Helen wants to leave. So then Helen and Roger are like, we're getting out of here. And Roger makes the unwise decision of being the only black member of the cast who decides to separate himself from the group. Oh, uh, so, okay. But I'm going to shock you by telling you right now that Roger is actually one of the only survivors in this movie. Oh, oh, that's a delightful break from stereotype. I know. To be honest, I was just waiting for him to get killed when he first left, but he didn't. And then Helen gets killed instead. And I was shocked. Which one's Helen again? Random white girl. Oh, okay. Her only purpose is to basically get killed. Oh, and to suggest the seance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's why she got killed first. Yeah, she's also wearing this, like, really terrible toga for the Halloween party, so she deserved it. <laughs> so anyways, so they're all kind of, the they're hanging out, and they hear these three knocks. Ooh, three knocks again. I know. And then they smell this foul smell, and then they feel a chill, and they actually mention that it is classic signs of demonic infestation. And so there must be a demonic presence. Then somebody says something about being a haunted house, to which Angela the Goth explains that it's not a haunted house, and that the difference between a haunted house and a possessed house is that haunted houses have ghosts, which used to be people, and possessed houses have spirits, which were never people and are evil. And this is a possessed house. So, there's this kind of weird thing where they show this point of view of the demon coming up some stairs and ultimately possessing Suzanne, the slutty one. Okay. So, that happens. And then Suzanne promptly kisses Angela on the mouth. So, that kind of comes out of left field, but then Angela is also possessed from the kiss. And that's your same-sex kiss. Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. It's still there for, I don't know, straight teenage boys to touch themselves to. Um, potentially, but there's more stuff for that in this movie, and it's coming up soon. So anyways, so Angela, who is a choreographer, then is in front of the fire, and everyone kind of goes off to do their own thing. Really what it is is the couples kind of go off to try to find places in this house to, like, bang, even though they just had this whole demonic infestation conversation. They don't care about that because this is a horror movie. So they go to find different places to have sex and Stooge and Angela are left. And basically Angela has this dance scene where she is in, keep in mind, this full black wedding dress, all super goth makeup out. She's got a cross earring on, which, side note, The cross earring is right side up until the kiss. And then after the kiss, it is an upside down cross earring. Oh, that's a nice little detail. Yeah. So she does this super cool gothy dance to the song Stigmata Martyr by Bauhaus. Bauhaus is a great gothy group that was in the early 80s until a little bit later. But most of their music was early 80s and was great. I used to listen to them. A good amount. So anyways, it's a great song. It's a great scene. She does this cool, cool dance. The culmination of which, after some stuff, is that Angela kisses Stooge and bites his tongue out of his mouth. Oh, okay. I was expecting you to be like, she kisses Stooge and now Stooge is possessed. Okay, but he is possessed though. Just without a tongue. Yeah. Okay. He He's 
he's not a big talker. But he is a demon now. So then we get to one of the most known slash noteworthy scenes and probably one of my favorites, soon to be one of your favorites, which is Suzanne. So Suzanne has this scene where she has this lipstick and it's, she ends up doing that weird, like crazy lipstick all over the face, up the sides of the face. Like I'm a pretty girl type situation. I'm a pretty girl. And so she does that. And then she, she rips open her blouse and it's just full boobs all over the screen. And they're very nice looking. And then she traces her boobs in lipstick runs the lipstick down her breasts and pushes the entire lipstick tube into her nipple where it disappears. (laughs) It's real wild. Just give me a second. (laughs) I'm simultaneously horrified, flabbergasted, and intrigued at what I could do with storage space in my nipples. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a great scene. It's real weird. But then it gets weirder, too. Does someone suck the lipstick tube out of her nipple? Sadly, no. But Jay that, walks in. That's just a missed opportunity. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so Jay walks in, who is, of course, super horny, because Judy wouldn't kiss him. And... Suzanne is sitting there with her boobs just all out. So he, of course, compliments her on her boobs, which any polite gentleman should do. Thanks. Screw them myself. Yeah. So then she goes right for the crotch and is like taking Jay's pants off. So then... Oh, she and you would be good friends. Uh Uh-huh. Anyways, uh, moving along. So then the next cut is to her riding Jay... And so it's doing this, like, back and forth between his face and her face. And she, while riding him, is like, do you think I'm pretty? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, I look hideous. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. And it's, like, weird because he doesn't, like, stop. Like, they're still, like, going at it. And then she sort of like cocks her head back and looks back up and then she's got like the demon special effects makeup on and she's like don't look at me and then she grabs his head and gouges his eyes out and kills him so he's not a demon he just dies he becomes a demon too everyone who dies in this becomes a demon (sighs) i know so the rules are not fully explained and they play a little hard and fast with them because they're sort of like demons and zombies to be honest with you i think there's only one demon but then he like resurrects all these people and can possess multiple people they only ever show one monster type figure situation interesting uh but yeah so he's like killed while still inside her and then actually it's like really weird because later on some other people walk in and they see him with his eyes gouged out and suzanne is sitting there and she goes you guys want an orgy i'm sure we could get jay hard again but he's like dead so that's probably not happening. Yay, 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 yay. Okay. Although, I have heard that people can maintain erections after death for a certain amount of time. Yeah, it's because the blood settles there and all, many other reasons. Caitlin Daughtry talks about it in Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Oh, yeah. I think. 
Maybe smoke gets in your eyes. I don't know. All right. So cut to Franny and Max who are having sex in a coffin. Like you do. Yeah. Like you do. That's what my notes say. Like you do. (laughs) But that's okay. It doesn't work out for them because Demon Stooge comes and promptly breaks Franny's neck and closes the coffin violently on Max's arm, severing it. Oh. Oh, Franny's also topless as well in this scene because why not? And she has great boobs as well. So, anyways, and then there's a really funny part where Judy is running through the house and she ends up in that room and Max's severed arm, like, animates and grabs her ankle and she has to shake it off. I found it very amusing. (laughs) I don't think it was intended to be. So, anyways, so then continue with the world's longest chase scene and eventually Judy and Roger end up in the basement and they think they see what's a door, which does not look like a door at all it's this big metal thing and they open it up and realize it's an oven and they're actually in the crematorium oh awesome yeah so there's banging on the door because demon angela and demon stooge are making their way in so then ultimately judy pulls this macgyver situation and breaks a a gas pipe off the house apparently still has gas because somebody's been paying that bill all these years and takes a lighter out of her pocket and when they come in, she lights the lighter and, like, flamethrowers Angela and Stooge. So then they get all special effects fire and uh, run out. And then Angela and Roger run up to the roof for some reason. So then, <laughs> so then they're on the roof. Roger basically ends up jumping down to the lower level. Judy can't because she's scared But then she ends up getting caught by Angela, who is now sort of like half melty. Mm. But Sal, who I hadn't really mentioned much until then because he's not super important, but for this moment, runs and saves Judy. But in the process, Angela flings both him and herself off the roof. Sal gets impaled through the chest on landing and dies. What happens to Angela? She gets back up because she's a demon, you know. But he doesn't become a demon. He resurrects a little bit later to go try to kill Judy. Yes. But the distinction that I make, I guess, is... And this honestly is probably a special effects situation. Angela and Suzanne and Stooge get demon face makeup treatment. Yeah. The others, when they're resurrected, do not. They just look kind of dead. Like they get the pale powder or something, but they don't, they're not yellow-eyed demon-y types. Ah. So anyways, so basically Roger and Judy are on the ground now and they're running and Roger's like, we have to get across the wall. And Judy, Judy says something about like, let's go through the gate in case anybody's thinking this. But apparently earlier it was mentioned that the gate has disappeared, like the gate to get inside the house. So Roger's like, there's no gate. We have to climb over the wall. So they climb over the wall using the only thing available, which is like rusty old barbed wire. So they're like grabbing this barbed wire and Roger is scaling it. And he, of course, scales it, ends up on the other side. But Judy is not feeling the barbed wire and is just sitting there crying about like her situation. Judy hasn't had her tetanus shot. (laughs) Yeah, so basically Judy is like... Freaking out. And Roger's on the other side of the wall. And I can't help but think he's like, I could just leave. You know, that's what I would be thinking. (laughs) Should I just 
go. Exactly. But, so then, like, all the demon-resurrected monster people are going after Judy. And she's trying to climb, but, like, one of them grabs her leg. And, uh, miraculously, at the last moment, Roger's hand reaches down and grabs her. And he pulls her to the other side of the wall. Then, for some really weird, dumb reason, the demons, like, turn to smoke. And as Judy and Roger are looking at the wall, all this smoke comes up. And then the big, like, monster demon face that we'd seen earlier appears in the smoke and then sort of zaps away into nothingness. Like, he disappears from reality or something weird like that. It doesn't really make sense because they don't cross the barrier. But I guess it doesn't matter because it's the 80s. So anyways, so then uh, they're safe and they walk home and that's basically it. There's a couple other things. And that's basically it. Just horrifying trauma and the deaths of, like, six of their classmates. Yeah. I mean, they when they're walking home at the end, they don't look like they've had a great night. It's daytime now. They're still in their costumes. I hadn't mentioned this, but Judy is dressed like Alice from Alice in Wonderland. And Roger, I think, is dressed like a pirate. I actually can't remember. Because the costume was really kind of basic. And I think he was a pirate. But they're... They look like they've had a rough time. And so they're just stumbling home. And that is... That's not exactly how the movie ends. The movie ends with this, like, random old guy. I just didn't get into it because he's part of the... He's not part of the story. And if you want to say it, you can. But basically, there's this angry old crotchety man from the beginning of the movie who gets all mad at people and sort of insinuates that he's going to do this plot where he puts razor blades into an apple, like, for trick-or-treaters. And then the end, the actual last scene of the movie is the guy's wife, it's in the morning, brings some apple pie, and he's eating it. And she's like, it's fresh baked. And he's like, when did you bake a pie? And he and she's like, well, we didn't have that many trick-or-treaters, so we had all those extra apples. And then he realized it was the razor blade apples. And because, of course, you wouldn't notice a razor blade in a piece of pie... Then he starts gagging and stuff, and all these razor blades come bloody, like, gross out of his throat, and he dies. And then the very last part of the movie is the his wife, the old lady, saying, Happy Halloween, dear. And then it fades out. It's actually pretty cool. Cool, but completely unrelated to the plot. Completely unrelated. It's just kind of this weird wrap-up thing. And kind of cute and kitschy at the same time. But yeah. That's none of the demons. I loved it. It's so great. That character of Suzanne, the way that she plays crazy, like crazy slutty, which is, let's be real, the best type of slutty, is so good. She's so good at it. And she really just made that movie. I also really do like gothy Angela um, that Amelia Kincaid plays. She's very good in it. Uh, Her dancing is good. But aside from that, it's just got great elements, cheesy, 80s, over-the-top acting, gratuitous nudity for literal no reason so yeah it's great people typically take their clothes off when they're having sex dear sometimes but yeah so what are you gonna tell me about all right so for today i'm actually doing two stories mainly because it's two novellas in one physical book but also because i hated the second one so much that i both wanted to talk about it but also didn't want to dedicate a whole episode to it. So today I'm doing The Small Hand and Dolly, and both of those are by Susan Hill. Uh, And Susan Hill is the woman who wrote The Woman in Black. Is that the one 
That had the movie with Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, it is. He is such a delicious little scruff muffin. Anyway, I will probably read The Woman in Black at some point for this. But I went ahead and started with The Small Hand and Dolly. The cover is just like a creepy doll staring into your soul. Yeah. But it's nothing like groundbreaking. It's... I mean, I'm still striving for that first hit of the drag queen nails out of the (laughs) carriage from Cursed Be the Child, and I just don't know that I'll ever find something that compares. The Small Hand came out in 2000, and Dolly came out in 2012, which makes them sound very modern, but Susan Hill's whole thing is she writes that really, like, classic gothic horror English ghost story. So think, like dilapidated house shrouded in the mists diaphanous nightgowns okay i can do that so as you know on my bucket list is running across a misty moor in a diaphanous nightgown anyway let me read you the blurbs so for the small hand antiquarian book dealer adam snow is returning from a client visit when he takes a wrong turn and stumbles upon a derelict edwardian house with a lush overgrown garden Approaching the door, he's startled to feel the unmistakable sensation of a small, cold hand creeping into his own, almost as though a child has taken hold of it. Shaken, he returns home to find himself plagued by nightmares. But when he decides to investigate the house's mysteries, he is troubled by increasingly sinister visitations. Hmm. So is it a creepy kid story? Well, sort of, I guess. You'll see. You'll see. Sure. So for these two, A, because they're so short, but also because with gothic horror, the interesting thing to talk about is the entirety of the story as opposed to individual scenes. I'm going to do a lot more plot summary than I have done in the past. So spoiler alert. Basically everything I'm about to say for the rest of this podcast. (laughs) Okay. So as we know, we've got Adam Snow And he's an antique book dealer, which I personally loved. I'm not going to lie, it was my favorite part of the whole story, but the story itself was really good. Sorry, that just made me think. I forgot to tell you that the way that the character in in Night of the Demons learned about the old Indian tale was because he said that he went to the library and the librarian told him. And I really meant to point that out because of you and I forgot, but I just did. Anyways. I don't know if we've officially mentioned that I'm a librarian. I'm a librarian. (laughs) Anyway, I really enjoyed that part. This is not horror related at all, but I just really enjoyed. There was a lot of detail about the world of antique book dealing and kind of what that is as a career. And I loved it. I feel like you would enjoy being an antique book dealer. I would, except it's like super competitive. Anyway, rewind, getting back to the plot. So he is driving through the country And he gets lost and he ends up in the gardens of this big dilapidated house out in the middle of nowhere. And like we learned from the blurb, he feels a hand, like a teeny tiny hand, take a hold of his. And that's basically the end of that scene. So later on, he's doing a little bit of research about the house. He's asking people some questions and he learns that the house was purchased by a woman named Denny Parsons. And she turned it into, like, a tourist attraction. Because even though the style is this classic gothic horror, uh, you're not given 
an exact date that this story takes place in, but the characters have cell phones. Okay. So, you know, at least relatively modern. I don't think they have like smartphones or anything. So my guess is like 90s, 2000s kind of vibe. And so an Edwardian house with these big palatial gardens would actually be like a thing that people went to go and paid money to see. And really beyond that, where the real horror comes in is there's a portion throughout the middle where we have a side plot where Adam is trying to get a first folio, like a Shakespeare first folio, Mm -hmm. for a client. And over the course of that process, he has several terrifying moments involving the small hand. So he is meeting with a colleague in Oxford, and he's walking through a courtyard and feels the small hand in his, and it's pulling him towards the fountain, and he feels compelled to drown himself. And basically has to, like... Like, the small hand pulls him up to the fountain. He's looking inside of it and has to, like, use his willpower to keep himself from drowning himself in this fountain in the middle of the day. And then later on, probably the biggest instance involving the small hand, he's driving to the monastery where the first folio actually is to purchase it for his buyer. And he's driving down this snowy road and he sees a boy run in front of his car which is the only time that we see this creepy child as their ghost, I guess, as his ghost. So he stops because he thinks maybe he has hit this child and he's looking and the small hand takes his and the small hand, which is invisible, as you probably gleaned, takes his and pulls him to the edge of the road where it's this huge drop off. And again, he feels the desire to kill himself. He feels the desire to leap off of this cliff cliff down into this rushing river below. And so we have this scene where he's like fighting the pull of the hand to get back into the car. And then when he slams the car shut, there's a scream. Hmm. It's pretty great. So antique book dealing happens and he ends up back at the house because he's at this point, he's gotten so scared that he doesn't even like to leave his house He's afraid to, like, fill up the sink with water. Like, he's basically... Because anytime there is standing water, he feels the compulsion to drown himself in it. So he gets really worried, but he's gone back to this house to try and figure out what's going on. And a random old lady shows up. And she comes out of the mist. Because, of course, there's mist. And she brings him inside of the actual house. And you're in this really, like, dilapidated, like, Mrs. Havisham, like room that no one has used in a long time but is also clearly the room that she is staying in it's just not clean it's not well kept and she is like let me show you pictures of the heyday of the house which by the way denny parsons is supposed to be dead so this is like a ghost lady okay we just don't really know it at the time and it's acknowledged very briefly the main point of this scene is he, um, Adam finds a picture of himself as a child with his brother and this other little boy. And that's it. We don't find out more about it until later. It's a slow burn. So after he's completed his sale, he has talked to his brother some, because apparently his brother Hugo had a mental breakdown years in the past. So he's talked to his brother some and been like, 
this is really horrible. Like before going back to the house and being the old lady, being like, this is really horrible. I now know what you felt like because I feel like I'm having a mental breakdown. And his brother was kind of like sketchy and didn't really like want to talk about it. Well, after talking to the old woman and seeing the picture, Adam wanders out into the garden and a hand tries, the hand tries to drag him to another fountain and he ends up passing out. And when he wakes up, he doesn't feel the pull of the hand anymore. So the hand is gone. He can now look into standing water. And in our final scene, he is visiting his brother and his sister-in-law and his brother's acting like really sketchy and really weird. And then his brother confesses that the picture that the old lady showed was when their family was visiting the gardens and his brother actually saw the little boy fall into the fountain, drown and die. And then later, Adam and his sister-in-law go for a walk. And when they come back, the brother is gone. And then he is found in the river where he has jumped in and killed himself. And his corpse has rigor mortis as if his hand is holding a small child's hand. Hmm. And then the very last part is Adam finds the suicide note from Hugo where he says not only did he see the child fall into the fountain, he pushed him. Oh. And that when Adam passed out in the garden and woke up not feeling the pull of the hand anymore, the hand had transferred back to Hugo because that was the cause of Hugo's breakdown and Hugo couldn't take it and succumbed. Oh, that's kind of a cool little ghost story. So that's the small hand. I, I actually really enjoyed it. Saying a summary of the plot line can't do it justice because she does accomplish that like spooky kind of creeping atmospheric horror constantly. Like completely constantly. And anytime that you start to be like, oh, okay, this doesn't feel as tense. There's a fountain. And then it gets really intense because he's having to fight killing himself. So I actually loved The Small Hand. It was one of my favorite horror stories that I've read in a long time. And then I read Dolly. (laughs) The way you say that makes me think that maybe Dolly was not quite as good. I hated it. Mm. I hated it. Let me read you the blurb. Okay. After being orphaned at a young age, Edward Cayley is sent to spend the summer with his forbidding Aunt Kestrel in Ayat House, her decaying estate on the damp, lonely fens in the west of England. With him is his spoiled, spiteful cousin, Leonora. And when Leonora's birthday wish for a beautiful doll is denied, she unleashes a furious rage which will haunt Edward through the years to come. That sounds decent, right? Yeah. Like, it sounds almost like a crazy, possessed, like, creepy child. Maybe... Yeah, like the girl becomes this, I don't know, like a spoiled brat ghost, but yeah. Well, you got the first two words right. <laughs> She's just a spoiled brat. But let me, let me attempt to do it justice of talking about it. So it's, it's actually well written in the same way that the small hand is well written. In that there is that atmospheric horror throughout. So I can't just say it was terrible. But the plot was just, like, awful. Awful. The premise is that... The premise that is not mentioned in the blurb. The premise is that Edward's 
aunt has died. And as an adult, he is returning to Ayat House to hear the will. And while he is staying at the inn the night before, he is thinking back on his childhood. And that's when we have the scenes with Leonora. But that's only like a third to a half of the story. So you go in thinking it's this like terrifying child story. And it's like, no, that's just a flashback. Also, she's not terrifying. She's just a spoiled brat. Is she dead when he goes back? No. Oh. No, she's alive. He's just like, oh, there was this one summer when I stayed with my aunt and my cousin Leonora was there and she was really spoiled and terrible. Like, that's it. Oh, okay. Like, there's a little bit of supernatural stuff that I'll get to, but a huge chunk of that flashback is just a bunch of scenes of Leonora being a spoiled little brat. Honestly, like, so you know how I take my notes, but for our listeners, I take notes at the end of every chapter as I'm reading these books. And there are three different chapters where literally the only thing that I write is Leonora is a spoiled little bitch. Again, Leonora is a spoiled little bitch. Like, that's it. Yeah. Because that's the only point of the scene is to show how spoiled she is. Leonora's mother has dragged Leonora traveling all over the world because her mother basically keeps picking really inappropriate father figures for Leonora. And so they just kind of bounce around from guy to guy. But Leonora's like, oh, when I was in India, when I was in this country, when I was in that country, but you, you haven't traveled, you little simpleton. She's just a little bitch. Yeah. But the big thing is that for her birthday, Leonora wants a doll. And this doll that she wants is she wants like an Indian princess doll. So like the sari, the whole shebang kind of doll. And her birthday comes around and her aunt has gotten her a doll, but it's the wrong kind. So Leonora smashes it. Like you do. And Edward is just really uncomfortable. So he takes the doll back to his room. And I guess here's where the supernatural stuff kicks in. Because he hears the doll crying at night. The smash doll. Yes, the smash doll. It's like up on a shelf in a box. And he hears it crying. So he buries it. And that's it. Like that's like the childhood scenes. It's just a bunch of brattiness. And then a chapter of Leonora smashing the doll. And a chapter of Edward burying it. And that's it. Wait, so does the doll, like, come back as a ghost, like, in modern times? No. More things happen with it. They're not exciting. But, I'll, but, but let me tell you, now that I've told you it's not exciting. Uh, so we're back in modern times. We're at the Will reading. And I will say one thing that I do enjoy about this. In a level of petty that Aunt Kestrel has that I personally enjoy, she has called both Edward and Leonora back. And in the will, she says, Edward, you get everything except the broken doll. Leonora, that's yours. (laughs) Uh, And I appreciate that, Petty. So for some odd reason, even though she's really upset, Leonora's like, okay, let's go dig up this fucking doll. And the doll has grown old. Ooh. I mean, that's spooky. And that's the end of that scene. Leonora, like, gallivants off, and that's that. So later, as Edward, I don't even remember what he does. Something not as interesting as being an antiquarian book dealer. But Edward is in Eastern Europe and is in a store and sees a doll just like the one Leonora described as a child. 
So she buy or so he buys it for her. And it starts scratching the inside of the box. So it's another haunted doll, I guess. I don't these people have bad luck with dolls. I know. Like pick better ones. So he goes to give Leonora this doll. And he ends up, this is when he ends up meeting Leonora's daughter, who we know about at this point, but haven't heard a lot. But Leonora's daughter has an illness that has made her grow old, just like the doll that Leonora smashed as a child. <laughs> God. <laughs> and an illness that made her grow old. She's got the reverse Benjamin Button syndrome. Basically. And then Edward goes home. Where his daughter is sick with a pox. And when she recovers, she's heavily scarred. And then Edward opens the box with the Indian princess doll in it. And the Indian princess doll is also heavily scarred. And that's literally the last line. So do they ever explain what's going on with these dolls? No. I don't get it. It's just, I don't get it either. Mm. I didn't like it. Yeah, with no explanation, it's kind of dumb. If they had sort of given an explanation as to why, like, the dolls are linked to the kids or something, that could have been an okay story. But they didn't. So it's not. And really, like, I downplayed a little bit of it, but so much of this story is just scenes of Leonora being a bitch. Yeah, I don't have any interest in that, necessarily. No, I was so disappointed because the small hand was so good and I loved it. And then Dolly was 150 pages and took me like seven days to read because I hated it so much. Well, especially because, so Leonora never gets like her comeuppance or anything, right? I mean, her daughter gets this like disease that makes her grow old, just like the doll she smashed. So technically... I guess, but when you want to see people punished for, like, when you have a story and people exhibit heinous behavior, I feel like there's part of you that's waiting for something bad to happen to them. And when it doesn't, it's not super satisfying. And I guess, like, her daughter having this thing is bad for the daughter, but I don't feel like that feels like retribution for being, like, a horrible bitch because... That's the daughter, not her. And also Leonora is painted as this extremely selfish character the entire time. So you almost get the feeling that if it's not affecting her, it's not really that bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I care for that too much either. No. So my readings. Mm -hmm. For the small hand, I would give the small hand four out of five fountains to throw yourself into. (laughs) And for Dolly, I would give it one out of five smashed doll heads. Ooh, that's, a, that's a low rating. The only reason it was not zero is because it does still have that atmospheric horror. Like, there's a creepiness to it. I just hated everything else about it. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I can ask if you would die in them, but it kind of sounds like nobody really dies in Dolly. No one dies in Dolly. I feel like in the small hand, I don't... Probably not, because to be honest with you, if I got lost and I came across an abandoned garden, I wasn't going to walk into it in the first place. Yeah, plus there's a connection, right? Like, the ghost is clearly haunting people connected to his murder. Yeah. So I feel like without that connection, you're pretty safe. Yeah, I don't think I would die in this, in either of these. What about you? Would you die in 
what what was it called like zombie boogie night of the demons yeah that one um yes i almost certainly would because well everybody but the final girl and roger die and also everybody who has sex dies and i'd probably just be one of those people yeah you probably would be but realistically to be honest literally everybody dies and it's all senseless so i feel like if I was at that party, probably. No. So, yeah. That's um, all we've got for you today. We had a great movie, a great book, and a really just, uh, a spoiled child. All it did was confirm that I don't want children. Anyway, you can contact us at secondtodiepod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at secondtodiepod and Twitter at secondtodiepod. And that's it for now. Maybe Facebook eventually. Oh, no, I made a Goodreads. Oh, and Goodreads. Yes, but I'm not like interacting very much. It's just going to be where I will have a list of the books that I've done and my ratings, which I'll have to like average them for the small hand and Dolly. Yeah. And don't hesitate to contact us. Any sort of suggestions on material to discuss, watch slash read or just suggestions and critiques in general. We'd love to hear from you guys. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.